0: I want to thank my sponsor, Viva. Viva, thank you so much for making this show possible. Viva is here to change the game. They have electronic regulatory documents for sites for free with no commitment, no contract. I just signed up my site, Yuma Clinical Trials. No contract needed. Nothing signed. They they just approve your email address, and that's it. You're up and running with an electronic regulatory system, which is a great way. If you haven't gotten into electronic anything yet, you need to consider it. It's it's free. Over 450 sponsors are using Viva for their back-end stuff. Electronic signatures here, electronic uh, delegation of authorities log, All for free. Viva is going to keep giving sites free stuff because they're very site centric. They they know that if they help empower the sites, even more sponsors are going to use their paid products on their end. They are the sponsors after all, so they pay for things. And they understand that making sites take control of their electronic systems is a huge first step. It's a huge commitment for sites, even for something that's free. And they're here to make it easy, and they're playing the long game. And anyways, go check it out underneath the video or the show notes below. Viva Site Vault. Hey,
1: everybody. Um, happy Monday. I see Michael said good evening. Um, let me know that you can hear me. Um, type one in the comments if you can hear me, Two if you can see me before we get started. But today we have a very, very, very special um it's not even a Q&A session. It's going to be the first recording. Hey, Lynette, it's going to be the first ever live podcast recording. Thanks, Brady, for letting me know. Hey, Lynette, thanks for letting me know. Um, but it's the first ever podcast, live podcast recording that I've ever done. Um, thanks to Dan, <laughs> he suggested it. So um, let me go ahead and add him in. And so we're going to record this episode live, and we're going to learn all about the the clinical trials guru himself. We're here, we're here at Straight from the Horse's Mouth, so let me pull him in.
0: Jasmine, how's it going?
1: Hey, Dan, how are you?
0: Good. Confessions of a CRA. <laughs>
1: excited. Yeah, me too. I've been getting um, DMs from a bunch of people saying how excited they are, so this me too. is going to be a good yeah. one. Yeah. So, of course, you don't need an introduction, right? Um, but for those of you who may, the small amount of people who may not know who you are, um, Dan Sfera, Sfera is the clinical trials guru himself. Brady says Dan is everywhere. Yes, Dan. That's right, Brady. Oh, yes, Brady. <laughs> he is. Um, but the clinical trials guru, um, you're also the co-founder Of Yuma Clinical Trials I feel like you've co-founded everything Um,
0: Yeah, it's a problem
1: sometimes (laughs) The CRA Academy um, The CRC Academy I mean, there's just so many things that You've done that you're currently still doing So thank you for joining us
0: Yeah, no, thank you for having me This is awesome I loved when you went 30 for 30 In November, it was very inspirational I love to see other content creators on here, raising awareness and demystifying the industry um, topic for the industry. Very important.
1: It is. It is. Absolutely. I agree. Um, So, you know, I like to um, cover people's stories. Um, Specifically, you know, I focus on the CRA journey, but I also like to highlight people that maybe like dabbed in the CRA You know space for a little while But then they've done so many other things Because people don't realize Like there's so many things in the The industry that you can do right Beyond the CRA The CRA job It's just the one that gets the The most attention So you know Why don't you share with us How did you even find out About clinical research?
0: Mm, Yeah it was through my dad Like So my dad immigrated To the United States from Romania When I was three So technically I'm born in Romania. Um, English is technically my second language, but barely. Like barely. <laughs> now, I I don't know much Romanian. Um, so we moved here. My dad's an international medical graduate, so he's a doctor in Romania. But when we moved here, you know, nothing. I mean, it's very hard to get ECFMG certified and to get your license transferred. So he didn't actually do that. Uh, until I was, uh, a junior in high school. Mm. So he got into research when I was finishing high school. And so I, I left to university of Arizona. I didn't know anything about it, but when I graduated right before I graduated, I was trying to like ask my dad <clears throat> what he's doing. And, um, he told me, well, besides psychiatry, cause he's a psychiatrist, um, he got involved with some clinical research and if I wanted to intern there for med school, cause my grades were not that good. So he said, Hey, intern here, maybe there's like a outside chance. You'll get in somewhere at some medical school, which never happened. Someone so I, phone. I interned at um, the clinic, the business started falling apart. Like the business um, it was like a smaller site. There were six coordinators there at the time one of his business partners was an administrator and she actually opened like another company with a very similar name. So she was siphoning checks to that company. By <laughs> the time the doctors found out it was my dad and two other doctors. Obviously they got rid of her, but the other doctors bailed and mm-hmm. they my dad alone with it. And he said, Hey, I'm going to close this down unless like you want to do something with it or just go find another job. So I took the chance. I said, all right, I'll do it. I don't know anything about what I'm doing. I don't know what, I barely knew what a coordinator was. And I learned the hard way, the payroll stopped. So all the coordinators left. So it was just me and like 15 patients that were ongoing in the study, but I knew nothing, like nothing, zero. I barely knew like, what research even was. I didn't know what informed consent was, but these were ongoing patients. So they already did the consents. They already screened them. They already randomized them. So at this point it was just their regular visits. So I figured out like at least what I have to do when they come in, but I didn't even know who they were. So I would just sit in the office by the waiting room until someone showed up because I had no way of contacting the patients. I had no, no idea which patients were in the studies. I didn't know how to reach out to them. So I just kind of waited for people to show up at the, at the site. And then I knew it was a patient that came for a visit. Like it was from nothing. Like I knew nothing about research at all. And then I Googled and I I couldn't find anything except things that were like very academic, like, you know, like NIH type of stuff. It's not helpful when you have a patient coming in for a visit for, And, like, you don't know what you're supposed to do. So that planted seed in the back of my mind. Hey, later on, maybe there's other people looking for this information, too. So that eventually planted the seeds for the YouTube channel. But that was about five years later, 2010, when I started that.
1: Oh, wow. So how did you ultimately figure out what you needed (laughs) to do?
0: It was a good CRA. And it it was a CRA that scared the hell out of me. (laughs) Because she was our monitor during all this chaos, and so she was used to like coordinators that knew what they're doing. And then she came in one day, and it's me. It's just me sitting there, and she, you know, I was so afraid to tell her I'm new, so she just thought I was lazy. Like she thought I just don't want to do things that she's asking. But I literally like didn't know what she's asking. And she said, "Did you get your IATA renewed?" And I had no idea what that was. So I just said, yeah. And then I ran to my office to look at what that means. I didn't even know the letters. Like, I wasn't <laughs> going to ask her that it's I A T A. So I tried to spell it phonetically in Google, try to find out what that is. It was like a chaos. Once she found out I'm not lazy, that I'm just new, she started teaching me. Like, she really went out of her way to teach me, like, the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. So I was really lucky. But I was also very scared of her for, like, that first six months. Um, I mean, she was tough. Like, she would come in my office and rip things off the wall, tell me this doesn't go there. Because I had my templates everywhere in the office, so I don't forget things. And she would just come in and say, this doesn't go there. Tough love, but it was a CRA that showed me the ways, a patient one.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. So how did you, for somebody that might be in this situation now, how did you go about telling her that, hey, I'm not lazy? I just literally don't know what you're talking about.
0: See, I needed the income because I had, that was my only job. And so I was afraid that if I told her the truth, that I didn't know how things worked, that she would tell somebody from the sponsor and they would take the study away. So I was trying to fake it till I make it. And I think she just kind of slowly figured it out, but it took her like three monitoring visits to figure out that, wait a minute, like, what do you mean you don't know what GCP is? And I was like, yeah, I never heard of it. I just graduated college. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. It was brutal.
1: I I see. I So hypertension
0: during that year. I was a 25-year-old with hypertension. And... Then once I figured out what I was doing, six months into it, I hired my, my best friend from college to be my, my coordinator with me. Uh, and then I started, you know, then more coordinator, I started hiring more because we kept getting studies. For some reason, they just kept giving us studies, too. Wow. So this was my business now. So, yeah, I had payroll. We had a workman's comp. We had, like, benefits. I mean, I had to, like, make sure we were maintaining enrollment recruitment so once I learned like how, like the fundamentals of research I had to learn how to grow the business I had to learn how to run a business so it was very stressful times um, for me back then like <laughs> very stressful but it was worth it in the long run
1: yeah it was so truly trial by fire like you were, Literally, <laughs> literally thrown in the flames
0: and I knew I wasn't getting into med school like I knew it was like a long shot so I I had like it was either figure this out or do something completely different like real estate
1: mm. wow so for the people that are out there that are like well how am I supposed to figure this out or figure that out like You literally figured it out at a time where there was no resources on Google or YouTube or whatever. I was
0: looking for me on Google. There was no YouTube yet. YouTube came out like in 06. Well, YouTube was out, but I I was looking for what I have now. Right. My YouTube channel, your YouTube channel would have been perfect for me back then. Yeah. Uh, I've been bugging you so much back then, but yeah, there was nothing. So it just planted seeds like, hey, Maybe other people need help, too.
1: Wow. That's crazy that you figured it out. And then you said it only took you six months for you to kind of get the hang of it. And then you're hiring the
0: fundamentals. Yeah. I mean, luckily, during that six months, I didn't have to worry about recruiting because I think recruitment period was actually over. But it was in maintenance mode. And there was a good 10 to 15 patients in that study.
1: So that was
0: enough uh, revenue stream to support the rent, the myself, um, three months into it, uh, three months into it, I finally started like seeing checks the hospital from next door came the owner, or he's, he was the administrator of the hospital. Um, the hospital shut down. It's called, and it was called Anaheim general and he brought me a bill and I was like, all right. So I opened it. It was $40,000. The bill was 40 grand. Because the previous administration never paid their inpatient bed days, oh, patient study. The administrator made all the, took all the income, didn't pay any of the bills. So now the hospital owned our building too. So he said, if you don't pay this within 30 days, we're also going to evict you from your place. So I wouldn't have had a site. Like once I figured it out, now money became an issue too. Like he, they would have kicked me out because of not paying past bills. So it was just problem after problem after problem for that first year, year and a half.
1: And this was fresh out of college. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy.
0: Luckily I was living with my mom. Like I didn't have kids. I, I don't know how I would have done it. I don't think I would have done it if I had a family to support. I don't know. I, I don't, I'd like to say, yeah, I would have figured it out, but I don't know. I mean, It was hard enough as it is with, like, no expenses. Just I was living at home with my mom.
1: Wow. Wow. That is amazing. Yeah,
0: it was crazy.
1: Oh, my gosh. So then, you know, obviously you figured it out. You did more than just figure it out. You're, like, running a whole business. You're more than just a study coordinator at this point. You're, like, running a whole operation. So then tell us, you know, you figured it out everything's going good you're making money what was your next step in your journey
0: Oh, it was just growing that site so i expanded this was 2005 by the time i i had like uh, by 08 2008 when the great recession started i had a full payroll i had six full-time employees and i had three sites so i already exp- i expanded that one site from anaheim which is orange county california to the Inland Empire, which is in San Bernardino, and Los Angeles County. So I had, like, one big site in Orange County and then two smaller sites. And so, I like, we were doing, you know, the same study. I thought I was clever. I was like, well, this is easy. I don't know why every site doesn't do this. I could get one study and give it to three locations, and all I got to do is pay coordinators and the PIs. Well, 2008, the Great Recession came, and I was young and stupid thinking that, the good times would last. They didn't. And I kept hiring and I kept trying to expand and I got into debt. So I made like from 05, 06, 07, I made really good money. 08, I started making, I I started seeing like the, the turn in the economy, but I was stubborn. I just thought it was temporary. Well, 09 was terrible. Like I had to actually lay off a few coordinators and Flip a site. I, I had to take the, the employees and ask them if they wanted to be business partners on those sites. So then it was the correction. And that was 2012. 2012 was the worst year of my life. Um, brought in some partners, which I, I learned, you know, you got to be very careful about bringing in business partners to anything. Um, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> um, in
1: 2010,
0: I started the Klingotron Guru YouTube channel. So during this whole time, I was also making videos. Um, And then I ended up selling that site. And actually the San Bernardino site, we still have. Uh, It's a different company, but we still have that one. Um, And then CRA Academy, CRC Academy, all those kind of things came because of YouTube comments. Like, hey, uh, you know, I'll pay you to teach me how to be a CRA. I kept saying no until about the hundredth time. And then I was like, maybe there's a business here. (laughs) (laughs) I hate teaching. I really hate teaching. Um, And so we did that. I partnered with Tiffany Bennett, who's our uh, instructor for the CRA Academy. And then 2019, we did CRC Academy. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the bad times I think are behind. I don't think I'll ever get that bad again, at least for me personally. But I learned a lot from those, like from 05 till 2013, it was like I saw the highs, the lows. You know, I, I was making really good money some years. Some years I was like questioning what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> so it just, I don't know, I kind of made it out of that and kind of glad. I wouldn't have done it any other way, really. Although I know things now that I would change back then. But yeah, wow. it was good.
1: Wow, that is amazing, like, to hear that story. Like, I knew bits and pieces of it, but I didn't know everything. That's, you have being on a, a true roller coaster.
0: Well, we didn't even talk about the IRS, how I learned. I basically got a crash course in paying taxes. Um, I got a crash course in managing employee expectations. Like, I made a lot of mistakes, too. A lot. I learned basically everything I know is from making a mistake.
1: Wow. And that's that's the, I tell people when they do make mistakes or when things happen that they consider to be like setbacks or obstacles or whatever, there's no such thing as loss. Everything is a lesson or opportunity for growth. Mm-hmm. And you're the prime example of that. Um, and I see people are asking questions. I'll, I'll let Dan answer your questions at, closer towards the end because people have some questions for you. Um, So I see them, y'all. I'm not ignoring you. But that's crazy. And you did all this before you even thought about being a CRA.
0: Oh, yeah. CRA? CRA started 2015. I needed that. I was a contract CRA. I needed that because I, like I said, I learned lessons from (laughs) the (laughs) IRS on what not to do. My accountant was like, yeah, here's your tax bill one year. And I'm like, wait, I think you like you have an extra zero. What do you mean? He's like, no, you had a great year. And this is what you owe. And I'm like, yeah, OK. So I guess I'm putting my resume out there getting a contract. CRA gig. <laughs> so I got that. That's why I did that. And it was a small Korean company. It's on my LinkedIn profile. They're really cool. And it, it turned out like it was so cool. Like I stayed with them for three years, um, but it helped me pay my back taxes. <laughs> but I, I'm glad I did that, too, because I could te- even though I don't teach in the CRA Academy, it gave me that perspective of monitor because my mm-hmm. whole life I've been a, a, like site and I was I basically trained myself like CRAs. you don't tell them too much like you don't want them to take away the study. So then, when I got on the other side, I'm like, no, that's not really. We just have our reports to write, and we're not trying to, you know, get yeah. the sides in trouble. But yeah. I, I wouldn't have learned that unless I did it.
1: Yeah, yeah. A lot of sides think that way. They think that we're like the bad yeah. guy, which you do have some of those CRAs that really do act like the police. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, we're a team. Like if we find it, we just fix it. But you don't want it's us to not find and then the fda finds it and then it's like yeah a disaster
0: but i'm glad i got the experience as a cra also and um it's helped me like i think i've become a more of a generalist i don't think anyone's ever truly a generalist i don't think i don't think that's like a destination i think it's like a process to get to be as close to a generalist as you can i don't think anyone in our industry is a generalist because that means you know you know, like all aspects of our industry. I don't know anyone in this industry who knows every single yeah. aspect of
1: this yeah. industry.
0: But I think it's like helps me. And I, that's why I recommend people try to become generalists, like play around with different options because you'll you'll discover new career yeah. trajectories. You'll discover new business opportunities. Um, maybe you find something you like that you didn't even think was possible. Like you said earlier, everybody thinks it's just CRA.
1: yeah. So true. And one thing I wanted to point out was that you said you started as a contract CRA. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are like, they feel like that's bad. Like, you know, contract jobs are not. Do you you know, I get that question all the time. Should I take this contract off? It's the same thing as like a full time, you know, right. Tell share with us about that.
0: Compared to my other stuff, like you want to talk risky is like starting a business and running your own business. Contract CRA is the safest job I've ever had. I've never been a W-2 for anywhere, but I've been a 1099, which is a contractor. Safest position I've ever had. Um, I mean, there's nothing risky at all about it. The people who are afraid think that when their contract ends, they're done. They don't realize that the more experience you accumulate on your resume, the shorter your gaps will be between jobs. Exactly. Like I get offered all, all, every day I get an offer of like somebody's looking for something. Some of them I don't want. They're like, oh, coordinator in Long Beach. They don't know that I am a basically <laughs> a coordinator in Yuma right now. Like, but yeah, like I have job security. If I quit all my businesses and you never see me again on YouTube or LinkedIn, I'll have a job in this industry if I want.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, And then you don't even have to, I know people that are contractors that they don't want any gaps. So they plan out their contracts. So if they know one is about to end, they'll go ahead and start securing another one. So there is no gaps. Um, You can really play around with it and do whatever you want. I know one contractor who likes to only work half of the year. So she'll like get it all in the first six months and the next six months she makes it so she's contract free. You can literally do whatever you want.
0: I know someone very close to me, actually, who you're not supposed to do this, but she took on three contracts at once. So She was getting like three CRA salaries, but she was living on airplanes. She said it was bad, very bad for her health. She could only do it for a year, but she made a lot of money that year.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and And some contracts, though, they do allow you to take on multiple contracts. So that's. Yeah. That's the thing too, but like you said, do you want to physically take on them? (laughs) Yeah,
0: she had a moment where she was on an airplane, had a panic attack, and she doesn't understand. Like you know,
1: she realized
0: that okay, like I was able to buy my fancy car, but is it worth it? Yeah, look what I'm doing. Like I'm getting health issues.
1: Yeah, it's rough. A lot of people don't. They think about oh, the CRA role is you know, prestigious because I get to travel and I get to do this and that. But I mean, you're working.
0: It's not. It's it, it. yeah, we can get into that, too, because I've done both CRA and site owner and site owner. Once you get past the initial hurdles, which is basically a year if you're not going to get paid. And that's if you know what you're doing. It's so much easier than CRA life.
1: I remember you, you keep telling me that. And I'm like, there's no way. And you're like, yes. (laughs) And
0: it it absolutely is. It's it's just that first year. And it's the unknown, the fear of the unknown. And you have to make sure you're in the right market. Like a lot, you have to do your homework beforehand and then be prepared to not get paid and then work really hard that year without getting paid. But you're still not working as hard as like your average CRA works.
1: Wow, that's crazy. So for those of you who are listening, you're like, I can only be a CRA. That's the only way I'm going to have a successful career and make money. You heard it straight out of Dan's mouth. That's no, that's not true at all.
0: But entrepreneurship is not for everyone either. So you have to know what works for you. I mean, some people are just really happy being coordinator. Like one of my employees right now, I told her. You know, you could be a site owner if you want. I'll help you. She's like, no, I don't have, I'm not interested in that. I just want to be like CRC and then maybe site director. So there's nothing wrong with that either. You yeah. have to know who you are. But a yeah. lot of these CRAs, I know them and they, they could be good site owners.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then it's also like you said, you have to kind of dabble in different things to see. If it is for you or not, because some people think that they can't do it. They're just scared. But they would actually, like you said, make great site owners.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. This industry is really amazing. And you know what this industry is? It's very forgiving. Um, That's true. I mean, you can like screw up really bad and still be in demand.
1: as Absolutely. a site
0: Or as an employee.
1: Absolutely. I've seen that time and time again. Um, and Valerie Ponder says, I just got back from a month and a half vacation before I took my next contract. So, yeah, (laughs) like you can literally do whatever you want to do. So
0: Valerie's flexing on. (laughs) (laughs) That's good, Valerie. You can have a lot of people jealous.
1: (laughs) I know. Right. Um, (laughs) and then Marlene Silver says, I'm terrified to be a site owner.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was too. Like I said, I think I'm an entrepreneur by heart. Like I didn't know I was until I started doing this. But I look look back on my childhood, I had tendencies all. Like I would do lemonade sale all the time, look at how to put the signs up. Um, I remember I had a pet sale. I was five. I put signs on my street (laughs) instead of having a pet sale. People would come by, what pets are you selling? I had roly polies I dug out from the dirt. I'm like, here you go. Like, all those are hints. But I didn't know for sure until I was thrown into it. And I think, like, I just described, like, how stressful it was. I think I'm also extremely lucky to go through that. Because I'm not sure, had I gotten, one of the things I didn't mention, Jasmine, before I graduated college, I applied to, like, 200 jobs in research. Because my dad told me, like, Hey, you can enter in here if you can't get a job, but there's this role called CRA. They always come to our office. So look it up. So I started just applying, right? Every CRA role I saw, over 200, didn't even hear back once. Not even those default <laughs> oh, emails, wow! like we're look. you know, we'll keep your information or whatever it is. Like this was before those default emails. Yeah. 04. Nothing. 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 So, but imagine if I would have gotten one of those. And I would have gotten comfortable. I don't know if all of this would have happened. Yeah. I really don't.
1: Wow. That's crazy. So, for people that come to me and they're like, I've been applying and I haven't heard anything. And I say, Well, how many jobs have you applied to? And they're like, Three.
0: I'm like, Okay. Yeah. Well, three, that's, you know, things always happen for a reason. Absolutely. I think now people like me, you, Brad, we're here to kind of, give you, like, a little bit of a guide, because back then, like, there was nothing, there was Centerwatch, I remember that publication, and that was it, and they were just writing, like, academic articles, like, you, you really had no way to get information about this industry, and now you do, you know, you go live, like, every day for a month.
1: Yeah, that was... It was interesting. I don't know if I when I'll do that again though, because that was that was kind of rough. I don't know how yeah, you. know what?
0: But your LinkedIn inbox is open twenty four seven. That's true. That we didn't have that back then when I was looking.
1: That same for me. I was lost because um, there was nobody. People didn't even really know what clinical research was. You ask right. people, and they're like, "There's clinical research." Yeah,
0: they still don't know. <laughs>
1: That's true. A lot of people still don't know. Wow. So what made you say, okay, I'm done with the CRA world. I'm moving on. Mm,
0: they told me like they, um, they, so that was a growing company. It was a Korean CRO based in the U.S. Their only clients were Korean sponsors um, who needed like U.S. presence. So the only reason they hired me was because they didn't have anyone in Southern California to monitor Um, And I even did an academy with them. They were amazing. They're awesome people. They told me, hey, we hired, we ended up hiring, like I was charging a lot. I needed to pay my tax. So like, that was like, this is my rate. And they, I knew they kind of had to, they weren't going to find somebody else that quickly. Um, So it lasted three years. And then they said, hey, we found somebody. Thank you. And but I could have found another country. Yeah, yeah. I had during that whole time I was working there. I was getting offer all the time from different places, but I couldn't take on more than one and still do the site owner and do the all the businesses I have and all that. I couldn't have done that. But if if I wanted to, I could have.
1: Yeah. So I didn't quit
0: because I didn't like it. I would still be doing it honestly if they never told me um, that they didn't need me anymore.
1: So what stopped you now? Because I'm pretty sure people reach out to you every day, like you said, trying to get you a job. So what stops you now from saying?
0: Yuma Yuma Clinical Trials. Um, I started that last year, July 2021. There's no way I'm, at least now, I'm not the coordinator anymore. But from July 2021 until March of this year, I was doing all the coordinating and really going back to like 2005, 2006 days. I kind of like that. I got in the trenches again drawing blood, spinning labs, crushing dry ice. I just actually did that last week. So I got my hands dirty again. For a while, I got fancy and didn't get my hands dirty. (laughs) Now I got my hands dirty again. And now I'm training coordinators. And I'm training them the way I wish I was trained back when I started. So they're all put into the CRC Academy. They all get quarterly performance reviews with me. We just did one earlier today. But Desiree, we took her to lunch and talked about her long term goals, short term goals, how we can help, what she wants to do. So my time is spent growing this business. I have a five year plan to grow Yuma Clinical Trials um, and then either sell it or keep it um, and move back to San Diego. My next phase, I want to this will be my last site that I do. Um, oh, I a- I want to get into biotech industry. Um in some capacity, like especially at the startup level, not as an employee though, but as like a partner. That's next, but this is my last, this is my last hurrah, I think, you know, with sites. Although (laughs) God laughs at our plans. What's the saying? We make plans and God laughs. Yeah. Yeah, that's my plan so far.
1: (laughs) Which knowing you, you'll have have more sites. You're like, Michael Jordan, when he retired, like 18 times. Oh, uh,
0: when, <laughs> when he retired. Um, yeah, no. I think Yuma is unique because there's nothing here. There's no competition. I'm actually in Phoenix right now at my brother-in-law's house. But in Yuma, Arizona, there's never been clunk of research done in that city um, other than oncology. So it's never been easier getting studies actually. I have a site selection visit tomorrow for an obesity study. Like it, it's so easy to get trials and the patients are are really positive like the community sentiments like awesome when it comes to research which you don't get that everywhere necessarily. There's a lot of underrepresentation here as well. So in a way I'm like spoiling myself. It's so easy here in Yuma. To go somewhere else and do this, like in San Diego, where there's a research site on every corner, it's just it kind of loses its appeal um, after a while. Yeah, but I really think there's like a lot of disruption to be made on the biotech side, especially in the raising funds aspect, which I don't think um, anyone's really done as far as content creators um, getting involved with biotechs.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen that for sure. You're always like. A leader and an innovator and at the front of everything. So I'm pretty sure you'll be the first. Well, thank
0: you. yeah, I mean, I've been getting into like the hard science um, lately. That's what I've been getting into. Um, But yeah, we'll see what happens like this. I have to focus on human clinical trials for now because the potential is here and we're just barely getting started.
1: Wow. Wow, so where then we've talked about, you know, the site CRA, but you haven't talked about all this other stuff you've been doing in between, like your book, The Ultimate Guide to Clinical Research, the academies. Um, You even have a, a service where you help people start their own sites, that's its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have something where you meet with entrepreneurs too, right? Like on a monthly basis, like a membership or something. Oh,
0: I used to do that. Yeah, I was experimenting. I'm always experimenting, and I'm not afraid if something that doesn't work out. That one did work out, but it was taking too much of my time. I don't think I priced it right.
1: You, you, <laughs> I, right. I wanted. I've been meaning to tell you that you absolutely did not. No, no, no. Every that time I was like, "What is? What are you doing?" Like
0: <laughs> that could work. The book, all that stuff, the academies, the consulting to help other people want to start sites or get studies for their sites. The book, I'm working on another book right now, actually. All that stuff is made possible by YouTube. Um, so, yeah, like, all that stuff was just, like, natural. Like, people just keep asking. I'm sure you experience this now, too, where, like, you just get the same questions over and over again. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, okay, I can make like a service or a product around that. So the book, I felt like the book had to get done. It's the book I wanted when I started. Um, That five-hour video is the video I needed when I started. The consulting service to help sites get studies is literally something I begged people to do back in 2005 for me. And they wouldn't. They would just want to sell me their auditing services. And I was like, great, I'll pay you for auditing our site. But. I need study leads. Like I'll pay for those too. And they said, no, no, I don't really do that. So I just said, why not? Like, let me do it. I'll, I'll figure it out. So we started doing that. That's actually the biggest segment of our business. Now myself and Chris is the um, clients, like people who have, have sites or want to start sites. Um, It's a low cost 1300. We're about to raise it to 1500 a month, but. That's been our biggest growing segment. The academy seem to be consistent, consistently growing. But the sites, a lot of people are growing their sites or starting their sites. And it's really no surprise. They're, the industry is busier than it's ever been. 2023 yeah. is going to be even busier than 2023.
1: Yeah. yeah. It seems like it's projected anyways to just keep growing.
0: Yeah. I mean, eventually, like, we can't expect this. You know, I keep thinking about 2008 when I thought, Things are just, you know, the good times are going to keep rolling. So that lesson stuck with me. Like, I'm waiting every year. Is this going to be the year where things just like The studies stop? I keep waiting every year, and I just see more growth. You know, like 2022. Okay, 2023, we're hearing talks about recession. But now they're saying, well, it's recession, but not for life sciences. Yeah. Because of the pandemic and yeah. because of um, mRNA and... And uh, personalized medicine. So maybe we got a good decade ahead of us. I think
1: so because COVID really changed the game for the industry. Because before clinical research, like we said, wasn't even on the map. But now everybody's like throwing all this money and investment in it because they see the importance and the significance when it comes to medicine and science. So I feel like, who knows, we might, it might be like this for even more than a decade.
0: Yeah, but always be. Cautiously uh, optimistic Don't do what I did in 08 And expand into a bear market That was stupid That was like I was young too Like I'm I'm 40 now So
1: I'm supposed to know better Well it all worked out right Like you said yes, thank God. It was a Your mistakes is what made you who you are So At the end of the day um, It still worked out So do you think you'll ever bring back The The um, The membership that you had for entrepreneurs, Mm. if you price it right, of course, the price you gave, I can't, it was something that was $5 a month. Yeah, it's like, where did you get that number from? Uh,
0: I just wanted to see how many people can get on. And it was like 40 people that did it, but, you know, no, (laughs) not because of the money. Like, I just wanted to experiment with that. I'm always experimenting different different revenue streams or different things to do. Um, But right now I got my hands full. I'm working on my next book, which I haven't really talked about too much publicly. I think I've mentioned it a few times on that podcast, but I'm working on my next book and it's, I'm getting deep into the science on this one.
1: What is, what is this one going to be about? If you can. This one in
0: a nutshell, I don't know what the title is yet, but you know, like, okay, you're a CRA perfect example. So you're, let's say you've been a CRA in oncology for like a decade and you want to expand into cardiology, but, and you, you, because you have like over 10 years of experience, they'll give it to you, but they're a little worried. Oh, well, you don't have cardio experience, but you know, you know, the fundamentals. So in chapter 12 of my book, and I don't know what chapter it's going to be, but you're going to learn about cardiology from a CRA perspective or a coordinator perspective, like what are the most important assessments? What are the most common medications? What are the mechanism of actions? What are some of the endpoints? Um, my next book is going to be about that for like 12 to 15 therapeutic areas. Um, and then looking towards the future too, like gene therapy has to be in there. I just haven't figured out exactly what's going to go in there and what the title will be, but that's the concept. Like pick up a new therapeutic area. At least you'll know where to explore further, right? But it's meant to give you, like, a working knowledge so you can start doing your job either as a CRC or a CRA right away.
1: Oh, wow. That's really cool. So when should we expect for you to roll it out?
0: The goal that I set for myself is February 2024.
1: Nice. So everybody, be on the lookout for that. I'm pretty excited yeah. <laughs>
0: Now I gotta do it.
1: <laughs> I was just about to say. Now people are gonna be looking. They're probably gonna be, you know, one is sooner than that.
0: Thank God. Yeah, I I love it. Like I think it's something. It's again something else. I wish I had. Like when I learned oncology, my first contract CRA thing was oncology, and then now here in human clinical trials, I went from doing psychiatry and some general medicine to derm cardio so like i'm finding myself learning all this like science stuff and i was thinking like why you know i'm learning this i actually like learning it but how come i can't find this like in a easy format everything i find on cardio is like super like complex why can't i find something where it just tells me like these are the assessments these are the common yeah. just lay it out in a book like something simple
1: yeah yeah that makes sense. I'm pretty sure. I mean, you got to try to push that sooner.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: February
0: I want to do it right, though. Like, I could release something fast, but I want to do it right. Like, I'm actually going to have specialists review every chapter.
1: Mm, cool. And
0: specialists that do research. So it's kind of hard to get them to read. Anything. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then they're, um, you know, they might read it, but then that turnaround time.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, so I see what you mean now. But we'll all be waiting for 20, you know, whether Thank it's you. next year, 2024. Um, and I keep getting questions. So let me give you some of the questions that we're getting before. I don't want people to think I'm yeah. just blatantly ignoring them. So let's see. Michael said that he can relate to that. I think he was talking about when you were thrown in the fire and then Laura says, kudos to you, Dan, for hanging in there.
0: Uh, Thank you, Laura.
1: Yeah. So we have a a couple more comments like that. Wow. And Hey, and all that. But Magdalena says, Dan, are you planning in the near future to open a site in Atlanta?
0: No, (laughs) (laughs) it's a crowded market. I don't know much about it. Um, no, we leave that for other people. I like underserved areas. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why Yuma Clinical Trials works. Like, nobody really wants to live in Yuma. You know, you kind of just like, <laughs> you're either from here or like it's a military town too. The only people that move here are like health professionals, actually, because it's so underserved, they pay them like two times more than they would get anywhere else. They got a lot of San Diego doctors. That moved here.
1: Yeah, and that's a good point you made for people that are thinking about starting sites. But you told me that too. Like, don't go to a crowded, heavily populated. Don't go internet. somewhere just
0: because you you think it's a cool place. to yeah. in like Manhattan. I mean, yeah, think about the competition. Like, the yeah. more rural you are, still, it can't be too rural. Like, you need to be close to an airport. Yuma has an airport. even like the perfect size, like two hundred thousand. Two-hour drive from San Diego. Our monitor tomorrow for the SSV. She's driving from San Diego, and so half of our monitors drive from San Diego. The other half from Phoenix.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which when we were talking about um, me being from Atlanta and moving back, we talked about the outskirts being yeah. good site, so, um, good location. So yeah, um, think about that, guys. If you're you know trying to start a site. Um, Alicia says your book has helped me have a better understanding of research, Dan.
0: Uh, thank you, Alicia. Yeah, I see Alicia all the time on LinkedIn. I appreciate your support.
1: Yeah, she's great. She actually did. Um, I have an interview series coming up on my podcast and we did a mock interview together. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So that'll be coming out soon. And then people will get to hear her response and then my feedback for her response. I gotta give
0: you kudos, Jasmine. You're, you're killing it. Like, you're... <laughs> You're doing, like, you're, it's such a service to the community, especially, like, the CRA community or potential CRAs, like, it's amazing, it's something that's needed, like, I can do it, but I can only go so far, I've only was a CRA, like, three years, Um, I do it more from the site perspective, but, like, you're exactly what the industry needs.
1: Thank you, thank you, that means a lot coming from you. Um, so Michael says, Michael Abler says, how many trials have you lost to SUSARs?
0: Only one. And it wasn't a SUSAR at my site. And I really think it was an excuse from the sponsor. Like some of these SUSARs, I get it. It's patient safety. But some of them is just a convenient excuse to pull the plug on something that doesn't work. True. You know, and like what? One out of 10 drugs actually get approved, like when you get to phase three. So you're bound to get more failures than hits. But sometimes they use the suicide. They use the lame excuse for the study. I lost. And I'm mad because it was a good study, like a good thing study. And actually the patients were happy on it too. It was a schizophrenia study. And some person in Taiwan had a rash and they stopped the study because of that. Wow. Like, that was, like literally. That's reason. crazy. Yeah.
1: That's so either
0: that they were worried about that rash. None of our patients had it or they just needed an excuse to pull the plug. So I lost one from a SUSAR, but it wasn't a SUSAR at my site.
1: And for those of people who are probably like, think we're speaking a foreign language because everybody that listens is not. Well, explain a SUSAR.
0: Suspected, unexpected, serious adverse reaction. So it's something that... Um, Suspected, unexpected. So they think, they meaning the medical monitor and the PI at that site and the board think that it's due to the study drug and then it's something that's unexpected that they haven't seen before in the previous trials. And then it's a serious adverse reaction. Because there's serious adverse reaction all the time in studies. But for it to be suspected, suspected related to the drug, and unexpected, meaning nobody knew this was coming. Um, those are not that common, but they happen. And that's why we do the studies too, to find those things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a that's a good question. Um, what's the next one? It says LinkedIn user. I can't see who the person is, but they ask, what is the average site owner income?
0: Well, there is no average. Um, I'm sure there's average, but it's from very little to a, a lot. Okay, let's start with the high-end. The high-end, I know some site owners that have private jets that fly around. Like, you know, they're making nine figures. Um,
1: nine figures one. as a site yeah. owner?
0: Well, they have, like, networks of sites, but yeah. And then there's on the other extreme, people – Losing money, actually, um, because they're site owners. I've always made consistently multiple six figures a year from site ownership. And I've always had small sites. So, and I'm average. Like, I don't enroll like crazy. We're never high enroller. But we're always, like, moderately high enroller. Like, we're, we're about average. Sponsors like us. Oh, we're never like leading any study in enrollment. Um, so I, th- it's average. Like you, you, if, if you, let's say a CRA makes what 150 K a year.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You can do that with like one or two studies. If you're the coordinator, instead of being a CRA at your own site. Like that's, I mean, off of two studies, moderately enrolling, you're gonna make like 400k gross.
1: Yeah.
0: So then you gotta pay your PI, gotta pay the rent, or maybe you can negotiate not paying rent, pay all the patients, all the bills. You're left with like 200k, 150 if you're like spending money on an assistant or something. Yeah. So and that's two studies. Most sites do like eight studies on average a year.
1: Some of them, you know. They're doing more than that. I'm doing way more than that <laughs> The crazy one. Um, and that's what you said moderate enrollment. so you don't even have to be a top enroller, a top recruiter and you can no. still make it's Wow.
0: Very achievable for anybody, but not every CRA makes a good site owner.
1: That's true too. So true, you make a lot of great points. Um, Brianna says, what's the most days on site you've done in one month?
0: The most day oh, I'm not a good example. That's probably you like (laughs) four. (laughs) Four days on site in a month was my biggest as a CRA.
1: My biggest was 14.
0: Okay. That's I guess.
1: That was a that was those are some rough months.
0: My friend who did three (laughs) days at once, she did thirty days on site. That
1: is crazy. I wonder why she was having
0: these. And hotels and on planes.
1: That is crazy. Yeah. Some stuff is not there has to be a better way to
0: for three hundred grand.
1: I was just about to say that's not worth it. Like, I don't care if it was like a million. It's not worth your like peace of mind, your sanity. Like that's crazy.
0: Yeah. The I mean three hundred grand, you can have four studies. Five moderately enroll even with like one coordinator to help you and you can make that you just gotta be consistent the problem with site owner you can have a really good year and then you get some studies that you can't enroll on the next year and you're not doing well so like the right providers to funnel you patients and then just being consistent about it and then your operations too so if you can get like a good foundation you can find your floor and if your floor is like, I'll take home 150 grand every year, that's your floor. You don't need to worry about being a CRA ever again.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm guessing that being strategic about which studies you take is important too, depending on your yeah. PIs, if they're we talked about this, if they're general med or if they're a specialty.
0: And the patients they see, right? Because these studies are getting more complex, dude. You're gonna yeah. work really hard on the pre-screening aspect. Yeah.
1: That's true. And
0: we all that's know CRAs true. that don't know how to talk to other people very well. Although they're hiring like more like empathetic people now, I'm noticing.
1: They are. Um, because back when I when I was a study coordinator, well, I've had some good, I had a really, really, really great CRA, but then there's the ones like you said, the tough loved ones, and then there's ones that are Beyond tough love, they're just rude. Oh, there's no love. They're just rude. Um, yeah. But you're right. I've seen they've been hiring. It seems like there's a shift now.
0: Yeah. So the, you can't have that attitude and influence patients. Yeah. Like, can you imagine patient misses their visit and you yell at them for not showing up? Yeah. Like, you're not complying with the protocol. I mean, yeah. that's not a good that's not a good archetype to be a side owner
1: at all absolutely <laughs> not um you wouldn't be able to your retention would be terrible you okay. might be able to enroll patients but you can't get anybody through this stuff or like
0: what about the people that look for reasons to screen fail their patients i hate that
1: oh god yeah
0: like you should be looking for reasons why why you should be randomizing not yeah looking for why you should screen fail
1: yeah that's another one um and then Brianna says, she has another question for you. How do you feel about unlimited PTO?
0: Um, hmm. I think that has to be earned. I don't mind doing it for my employees. I've actually done that in the past for my employees. But I do quarterly reviews. And if your productivity, you know, every company has, we were talking on my podcast with you on there about incentives. Yeah. Every company has incentives. I mean, we need productivity from our coordinators. Yeah. Or if you're just at home all the time and we're not seeing patients because you're at home, uh, we're going to have to talk about how you fit into the company. Yeah. Um, unless you want a role that's fully remote, then, then we could do that. But then, you know, there's other productivity. So I'm for it. I'm not against unlimited PTO, but if it's being abused, like, we'll, we'll have to fix that quickly. And I think in a small business, you can't afford to um, not fix problems like that. Like, I've had problems. I've mismanaged. I'm not a good manager. I've mismanaged my companies before, too. And despite all that, I was still able like, to make good money. So you have to, like, fix problems quickly in a small business. And in a small business, culture is super important. Because if one employee sees another one doing something and nothing happens to them, then they start doing it. And pretty soon everybody starts doing yeah. it. And now you've got a real problem on your hands. I've had that happen to you.
1: Yeah, I can imagine, which I'm actually surprised to hear you say that you've done it for anybody because usually I've never seen like smaller companies do unlimited PTO. And for those of you who don't, even know what it is or you're like what that's a thing um it's flex time off so it's literally like an unlimited amount of time and a lot of the larger CROs they've been doing it but it's also because we have our days on site metrics (laughs) Mm -hmm. so and typically it's like eight to ten days um per month and it's on site visits now that we've gotten remote like some companies are like 12 to 14 for remote so if you do that math, there's only so much time off you can take anyways, right? So that's why they yeah. do the flex time.
0: And I think I see a comment that says unlimited PTO is only feasible for larger companies. It's not. I've done it at small companies. But yeah. it's, it like I don't like to count days. That's why I've done it. It's not because like anyone really took advantage of it. It's because, look, if you're sick or you can't come in or you want to go on vacation, yeah. Do it. I don't want to pause payroll because they always screw up. Like when you come back, I'm just not a micromanager. So do it. But when you come back, there's gonna be a bunch of work <laughs> like did. to catch up. So they don't really. I mean, they'll do it. Like they'll go on vacation a week, two weeks, three weeks. One of my coordinators took off a month because her daughter had um, issues, like medical issues. She had to take care of. So we covered for her. But we had we had to roll. Uh, waiting for her when she came back. So yeah. those kind of things I don't mind. If you especially in a small company, if you if you show your employees like you care about them, they're gonna work harder for you yeah. when you come back.
1: That's so does work,
0: LinkedIn user. I I <laughs> I humbly disagree.
1: It's <laughs> so funny. So another LinkedIn user asks, Dan, what is the biggest barrier to starting a site for the first time?
0: It's, it's that. It's the work for free for a year. And and it's very tough to keep your current job and do this at the same time. Maybe the first three months is fine until you get that first study. But once you get that first study, now you're in startup mode. And now CRAs are emailing you constantly. What Did this vendor get this training? Did your x-ray vendor get this? Did the ophthalmologist get this? Yeah. No, no, no. So guess who has to go make sure they do it? Me, me, me. So there's no way I could be a CRA and do that well. um, So you probably have three months when you're starting out where you can still work your job. But then you either need to hire somebody and now you're going out of pocket. You don't have money yet. So you're investing literally your money into it. So a lot of people are not financially prepared either. They need immediate income. Which is not coming that quickly, or they don't have money to invest in the rent and the staff and all that stuff. So that's really the biggest barrier, and it's probably getting the PI is hard. People always say, "Oh, do you have a contract for a PI? I want. I found one, and I want to lock him in. Like that's a bad attitude to take. Like yeah. the, what makes you think this PI would you want to be locked in to anything? Like. What makes you think somebody else, a doctor, oh, yeah. who's got a lot of things to do, by the way, besides messing around with you and research, wants to be locked in. So, no, there's no locking in. You agree on what's fair, and that, that can change based on their uh, scheduling and what they learn about research. So, a lot of people avoid these conversations because they want everything like template. Well, first of all, not every doctor is going to want the same thing. Yeah. I know doctors that want to get paid hourly. I know doctors that want to be part owners. I know doctors that want to be contractors. Like, how would I know unless I talk to them and continuously communicate with them?
1: And this is what you provide in your service, right? The monthly service for people that want to start up a site, you, you share with them. How to solve these challenges, these problems, right?
0: Yeah, SOPs, business plans, but really, it's like more a shoulder to cry on, like that first year. <laughs> we just interviewed Alfred from uh, Mississippi. This, have you seen that, Jasmine? I gotta send it to you.
1: Uh-uh.
0: Okay, he knows nothing about research, and he's he's he got past the year mark. He's got oh studies, wow, three sites, four studies in Mississippi, and it's just him and like an assistant.
1: What city is it?
0: Uh, Jackson, and then some small ones in Mississippi.
1: Oh wow! I used to have a site in Port Gibson, Mississippi. It's like maybe like almost two hours from Jackson, like an hour forty five minutes, and you're like literally riding through like you lose reception for about a good forty five minutes. Wow! It's like that far out, like you're wa- riding through like nationally reserved parks and stuff. And I always thought that that like it's perfect for what you said about starting sites and in locations where the competition isn't because yeah. these people want to participate in research, but they don't have, sometimes they don't even have the resources to drive three hours or whatever to get to the nearest. Oh place.
0: Yeah. He's doing well. And his biggest problem now is not getting studies or patients it's getting staff.
1: So wow. he does want
0: more studies right now.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's great.
0: Not a CRA, not, He's a business person from uh, um, insurance and medical equipment sales. And he just watched the videos, became a client about 10 months ago. And he's about, he's basically turned the corner, is about to start making money.
1: Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow.
0: been 10 months and a lot of stress, like a lot. A lot. <laughs> Marlene says she saw that interview. Thank you, Marlene.
1: Yes. Thanks, Marlene. Um, Marlene was actually um she's a client of mine. She's doing Hi, well. mm-hmm. smart. Yes. So she's been killing it as a CRA. Um, okay. yes. um Tracy said, will this be available as a link later? Um yes, and it'll actually go up on my podcast. I don't know, Dan, are you gonna post it on yours too?
0: Uh sure. If you give me the file, I'll put it on there.
1: I will. Um, so yes. Tracy, you'll be able to go back and listen from the beginning. Um, Valerie asks, How did she do that? Do you know what she's talking about?
0: How did she do that?
1: Yeah. Not- Valerie, can you catch us up? How did who do what? Um, Michael asks, For entry level, especially for someone not educated in healthcare, would you recommend starting as a trial coordinator working with study participants or as a trial assistant working with the data?
0: Whatever you can get first.
1: I agree. Because
0: one will lead to the other. If the company's small enough, you're going to do everything. That's why I say small is the new big. Like, it is. Everybody goes to like academia. Oh, because they're prestigious. Well, yeah, they're prestigious for them, not for you.
1: <laughs> That's so true. And the more experience you get, the better, right? You. T- you took on a whole site by yourself so you yeah, know, know anymore
0: you see UCLA or one of these places
1: yeah <laughs> no they really have kind of like siloed each role like they have the data entry person they have they might have the regulatory person they like you literally focus on like that one thing not to say yeah. this is a bad thing if that's what you can get at the time but like you said
0: get get it don't stay too long because the reason they compartmentalize everything is not for you yeah they don't care about you regardless of what they say they care about their company being efficient yeah they don't care about you growing your career matter of fact they don't want you to grow your career so they have no incentive to give you more responsibilities small sites they're run by people like me like if i can't train you to do a dozen jobs that i'm doing that means i have less videos. I have less time to do videos or write my next book. So I have every incentive to give you more responsibility than you want.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then for people that are like, okay, well, how do I get in with a company like you? What are you looking for?
0: I hate that. They ask me that every day. How do I get in? I don't see the job postings. Well, yeah, the companies Do you think this Alfred guy I interviewed has time to post? on Indeed, he doesn't even have time to fix his LinkedIn. Go (laughs) First of all, everyone has a LinkedIn. So message there. That's like easy. You can probably find like Instagrams, Facebooks, phone numbers, but go in person, like go to the site in person with your resume. Tell them what you can do. That's it. Don't don't wait for the opportunity to create it.
1: Exactly. I tell people that all the time. I actually have a guide on that and how you get these opportunities. Like my very, very, very first one was me going to a site and asking a volunteer. Like you can't just sit around and wait.
0: What are you doing? Oh, but Dan, uh, it said one year. And so I'm not going to go. I'd rather get another degree. Look, you're wasting, you guys are wasting time with that stuff. If you need to get a job in the industry first, if you're not in. Yeah. Every site needs help getting patients, getting studies, community outreach. And a lot of these people are messaging me on like Instagram and TikTok. Do you know how many sites would love for you, instead of wasting time on your own Instagram, to waste time on their Instagram for free? Create an Instagram for them. Hey, I will create your Instagram for you. I noticed you didn't have one. And I'll manage it. I'll post like three times a week. And in exchange, I just want to shout out your coordinators.
1: Exactly.
0: That's not going to last longer than a month until they're like, all right, we're going to hire this. Exactly.
1: Person. Exactly. I always find it shocking when people say, especially now, since the industry's booming, that they say they can't find any opportunities.
0: I mean, when it's money involved, like I get it. Some people can't volunteer because they have bills to pay. You can still do things from home or in the evenings, like you can yes. run them on Instagram and then shadow them on certain days of the month just to get the experience. Yes.
1: get yes. That
0: experience on your resume. Now you're like a valuable commodity to someone else.
1: Exactly. And I like what you said about even if it's just a couple of times a month, like figure it out. You can do something because when I volunteered, I had bills to pay. Now, And of course, everybody's situation is different, but I had bills to pay. I had all the degrees. I had went through a PhD program, like I had student loans, I had all the things, I had a kid, I had a family, I had a husband, so you just figure it out. You just figure it out.
0: There's no other way, like when you want it, it's there. Don't just say, oh, well, I don't know how to find them. Well, you go in your community and you find them.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, And that's what I try to help people see, like, especially nowadays with LinkedIn, YouTube, everything that's out there, you can literally build your own little community.
0: Look, look, this LinkedIn user, sorry to interrupt you, Jasmine. It's a horrible habit. Look at, but this comment, this is like, let's do this one. I would like to do some part-time work at a site, but I want to be paid. All right. So (laughs) map out. And if you want to do it remotely, you can, you have unlimited sites, but map out like in your area, like 10, 15 sites in your area, research, actually research them, find all their people, keep people on LinkedIn, figure out, do they have an Instagram or a Facebook or a TikTok? That's, that's community outreach. You can do patient recruitment. So passing out flyers in the community or getting paid a commission based on the patients you bring in to screen. That's number two. Number three, you can help them find studies, clinicaltrials.gov. You can identify studies that they might be interested in and then email or better yet, find the leads from the sponsors on LinkedIn to approach. I just did this yesterday with with um, with Monica's site. I was talking to Monica. She wanted a study for her site. I said, Monica, this company, you're not going to get it from clinicaltrials.gov. Look, let me go on LinkedIn. I looked it up. It's a small biotech. I found three people. One person I message on LinkedIn, say I have a colleague in LA that wants to do your major depressive disorder study. Guess what? Three days later, that lady replied back, yes, I would be interested. What's your site's PI name? So you can find studies yeah. on LinkedIn. That's three. Those are three separate proposals that you offer all the sites in your area and say, if you want me to do any of these, you tell me what how you want to pay me. That's it. And then yeah. when you get good at it, you can start commanding your price so that's that comment that i saw like a lot of those kind of things like don't wait for permission like what no one says you can't reach out to these sites and offer services matter of fact they're probably looking for people like you
1: they are but they too they don't know where to look or how to find people or they don't have the time to Um. like you said post on indeed or linkedin or whatever so that's really good. That's really great advice. Um, I like that. And then uh, Marlene said that I did an interview where they said they are looking for vibrant personalities to fit their culture. So <laughs> what's a vibrant personality? For a CRO? I she guess somebody ask-
0: to be nice to the sites. Basically, you're, they're looking for nice people and not mean people i had a cra make one of my crcs cry once
1: oh wow she
0: was bad i think there was something wrong with her like upstairs because she monitored she would cause problems she would look for problems and then cause them when that where there weren't any and she even accused my crc of fraud for icf you know how patients sign and date every bottom of the icf every page yeah one of the signatures was like uh cursive instead of like uh block letters So she said she accused my CRC that the patient forgot to initial there and that she did it. And then she was just like trying to cause problems. So when they probably my guess is when they're saying, because a lot of sites complain about this lady. um, They don't want people like that.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, It's so unfortunate. It sounds like she also probably had bad CRA training if she had any at all. Because, you know, there's also that group of fake CRAs. Um, but that's. Terrible. Oh, yeah,
0: I know that group. No, she's a real CRA. She definitely knows her thing. The sad thing is, she's going to keep getting jobs because she knows how to be how a to, Yeah. But wow. she has zero respect for the people she works with.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, mean, I
0: never forget her name, but I'm not going to throw her out there like that. But she, yeah. So th- I think they're trying to avoid people like that. When I say that, vibrant personality.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me, too. Um, let me see. So Valerie said to our question about when she asked, um, how does she do that? She said, the CRA with multiple contracts, how did she manage her time?
0: She didn't. I mean, she just did what she had to do until she got sick. And she was a young person that got um. Triggered like an autoimmune condition. So she had to like really take it easy. I mean, no joke, like probably 25 days out of the month, she was on site and managing like three different projects at once. So it lasted about a year. And she said it's not worth it.
1: That's crazy. I don't even know how she lasted that long. I know. (laughs) Wow. That's not even worth it. Um. (laughs) Another question, um, I don't see this up here, but I I want to ask this for the people, is that since you do hire coordinators and you are a site owner and you've, you've done it all, what do you look for during the interview process? And and talk about the cover letter, too, because, you know, we talked about that before. So do you yeah. like the cover letter and what do you look for? I actually in do.
0: Like, I didn't think I did until... People started applying to roles and I was busy and I'm like, let me read the cover letter first. So those tell you a lot about the person. First of all, do they have one? It's not a big deal if they don't, but I liked, I actually read them. So they probably do something. um, At least for me, the type of person I look for is somebody who um, takes uh, constructive criticism. Well, is willing to learn. uh, has a, pleasant attitude, and it's not asking questions um, about money. Like, they have to be long-term also. So, like, a genuine interest, pleasant, not late. If you're late for your interview, uh, we might as well not do it. Um, basic things. And then because we're small, I have to I make sure that I get along with the person during the interview you know how like sometimes there's just no chemistry yeah and you're like how am I going to work with this person
1: yeah
0: Um, I can't even do an interview with them um and then if they work with me then I have the other coordinators as many of the other coordinators as I can interview them as well to see if they feel the same and then we hire so it's very much personality I haven't gone as far as giving those personality tests yet the um Myers-Briggs, I think it's called.
1: Yeah.
0: I haven't done that yet, but I'm thinking it's not a bad idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michael says, very pro tips. Thank you, sir.
0: Oh, Thank you, Michael. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, So that's good to know because a lot of people, cover letters is something I do for all of my clients, but I always... I don't particularly like them all the time, but I know some people do. So you want to make sure you have one. So that's good to hear it from you that you you actually, like, read them.
0: If it's actually good. I mean, if it's generic, like, oh, I'm a team player. I mean, oh, yeah,
1: that's another what thing. Is that
0: tell me? But yeah. if it's something about, like, why you want to do research or why you're in research. Oh, that's another thing in the interview. We have a website, right? Everybody, We give everybody our website. If you don't know what kind of studies we do when you come in to the interview after I gave you the website, then you're not like, how interested are you really? Yeah. So, when they, I used to have a psych clinic, and the people that I would end up hiring are almost always the people that said, Hey, I I noticed it's like mostly schizophrenia. Here's my personal connection to schizophrenia or something like that, where like there's like a personal anchor to what you do. So it's more than just a job. I always tell people this is a career, not a job. Um, Even if it's not gonna be with me, clinical research is a career, it's not a job. Um, So if you're just looking for a job, you're in the wrong place.
1: You go to
0: academia for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's that's another really great point. Um, That's one of the things that I talk about in that podcast series too. That in prep for the, for the um, interview, you always need to study and do your homework on the company. Like, that's, yeah. that's an easy, like, no-brainer answer to that question. Like, you should know who you're interviewing with, what they're about, what they do.
0: It tells you a lot as an employer about how much did they research you yeah. when you have publicly available information out there.
1: Yeah. And it like you said, it shows your true interest. Like you can say all these, I'm a team player, I'm you know, a great communicator, like all those fluffy words, but you have to like back it up with action. And if you can't even (laughs) tell me
0: who's not have you ever heard anyone say they're not a team player? Right. (laughs) Who yeah, I'm curious that that would actually be interesting to see that. I'm not a team player. I might actually want to interview that person.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, Well, I know we've taken up quite a bit of of your time. So if you guys have any more questions, you better hurry up and throw them in the comments. Um, But I did want to ask. So for people that are like, you've given some really great career advice, right? In terms of Being at the site, working at the site, owning your own site, being in the contract series, all of the above. So for the people that feel like they're stuck in their career, they don't know how to make a next move or what the next move will be. What advice do you have for them?
0: If you're stuck, well, first of all, it's never been a better time to be stuck than right now because there's options everywhere. So if you're stuck you better take advantage of this opportunity that like this decade, who knows how long it's going to last, but you have options. The industry is very forgiving. It's severely understaffed. So if you're stuck, you shouldn't be. And, um, why are you stuck? Start networking, start going to, uh, side CROs, start going to SOCRA ACRP chapters in your community. Like every city has, um, ACRP SOCRA chapters, network network with people like jasmine network with people in the comments like these comments like the people yeah. in the comments i don't know if you noticed but like on some of my live streams people connect with each other based yeah. on the comments like you don't even need to leave your house now to network so if you're stuck get unstuck fast because if the industry changes and it goes through a downturn you're going to be continue to be stuck yeah if you can't get unstuck now you won't be unstuck <laughs> When the industry turns bad, and it's not gonna stay good forever.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, that's a good one. Alicia says, "Yes, networking."
0: It's all the networking sounds so cliche, but it's it's everything is networking.
1: It is. It literally is.
0: I hated networking too. You know how like I'm an introvert at heart. When I when I got into the industry, like somebody told me, "Oh, you gotta network." I would have hated that advice. But seeing what I know now, like. It's the only way.
1: Yeah, and it's so funny to hear you say you're an introvert cuz I I just don't believe you.
0: Nah, I did that Briggs Myers and I'm actually like extrovert. I'm like 54% extrovert and 46 introvert. But I'm I don't it, I think
1: it's I think it's wrong cuz <laughs> I feel like you're like at least 90% extrovert.
0: No, and that's the thing. I had to force myself. I was the last person that would have done a YouTube channel. Uh, in high school and college, I sat in the back of the class and prayed to God no one would call him. <laughs> that was me. I was that person. So to tell me like 10 years later I'll do a YouTube <laughs> channel and go on live streams, there's just no way. But I, I, I'm, ambitious. I'm more ambitious than I was shy. And wow. I, I told myself like there's just – it's one or the other. What do you want to do? Like, you that got all these so ambition. You want to do that or you want to keep being shy?
1: That is so funny because I'm the same way. Like, I didn't, I don't even have any other social media other than like, at first I had LinkedIn. And then once I started the coaching business, then I had Facebook and Instagram for the coaching business. But before that, like, I never had a personal account. Yeah and youtube was like the last thing on my mind and i like literally avoided the camera like the plague um but my coach told me like you're not gonna be able to help people hiding so then i slowly came out and here we are
0: today you gotta step outside of your comfort zone i did in 2010 yeah now i seem like i'm not an introvert but well i guess i'm technically not by that briggs meyer scale but I still feel like it sometimes. And yeah, I mean, even now I go to investigator meetings. I don't want to be called on or talk like I'm just in the back still. I still like defer to that. But when I have to do something to push my business objectives and my outcomes, I'll do it. I'm not going to let, you know, how I feel uh, dictate my outcomes. You only get one life. So yeah, you step outside your comfort zone, go to the sites, go tell them what you can offer. Yeah. Go network. It's not that hard. Nobody, yeah. first of all, nobody cares about you, anyways. They care about themselves.
1: If that's true. They're not <laughs> thinking about you. And I'm glad you said that because I get so many people that say, I'm an introvert. I don't do good with interviews. I don't do well with networking. I don't want to be on LinkedIn and put myself out there. So now you know, like, that's we're both in the introvert category, and you can't let that stop you.
0: Nope. It's what do you want more? What will win, you know, your your introvert tendencies or your will your 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 desire for positive outcomes in your life.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's a no brainer to me.
1: Me too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, which I guess is why we're both here today. Yeah. And Valerie said, I also dislike networking, but just like Dan has said, it's one of the best ways to get into the clinical research field. Absolutely. Absolutely, um, and then Brianna asks, "What are some common positions and research that are being phased out?" Mm.
0: Wow, I mean, I would say data entry, maybe, maybe. You think um, so? No, but if I had to pick one, it's going to be that. Um, I already know sites that are outsourcing that because of e-source overseas mm. under the. Radar. Um, I think the last thing to be phased out is that human element of interacting with patients, interacting with doctors, interacting with monitors and preventing problems. Like I think tech and AI is very good at finding existing problems or finding inconsistencies, but at preventing future problems, which requires training and requires some foresight humans are still the best at that. Um, So I don't really think much is getting phased out, actually.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Michael says, agreed, data entry is outsourced. Um, I had this conversation with somebody, uh, I can't remember when or who it was, but they said they feel like the CRA role is going to eventually be
0: Eventually. But what does that mean eventually? I mean, yeah, eventually we'll have flying cars too. <laughs> I've been hearing that since I was little.
1: Again, now, that's 40, true.
0: I've got gray in my beard and we're not close to that. That's but true. I don't think CRA, I think the CRA role is changing though. Like if you already look at like what, what some of these big zeros are doing with the remote site monitor, I think it's PPD that's doing remote site monitor and the CRA like back in my day, <laughs> the CRA was both. Yeah. You know, I mean, now the CRA comes to the site and they have a full time remote site monitor handling day to day. So the CRA can do more days on site or maybe more sites or maybe more studies. Um, so the CRA role is not going away. It's changing. Same thing with the study coordinator. Study coordinator role is not going away. Matter of fact, we already have a study where data entry is done automatically. Um, at some elements of that entry is done automatically through the IRT where like patient date of birth and stuff like that. Once you put it in the IRT, it's put in the EDC. So that's slowly starting to phase out, but does that, does that mean coordinator is going to be obsolete? No. Who's going to remind the patient and convince the patient to come in and be compliant and what's wrong. Do you really have an AE or are you just telling me? No, all that stuff's not going away. So the roles will slowly evolve, but it's not disappearing.
1: Yeah, I agree. And even with the the CRA role, especially in the oncology space, um, with COVID, like, they loved it because that was the excuse for us not to come on site, right? So now <laughs> a lot of the bigger institutions, the big cancer institutions, they're literally making SOPs that say we can't come on site unless it's like an absolute emergency, like you have to get all these approvals. But it's because they already use EMR. They already have an EISF. Like they are using Vestigo or some type of electronic pharmacy portal. Everything is electronic. So literally when you go on site, you'll be put in this room. You don't talk to anybody. You don't have access to the study coordinator, anybody. And they just, you're on their computer looking at these different systems. So it's the same thing as sitting in your home office. So that's been like a big thing where, from the CRO perspective, we've been having to rewrite internal policies and rewrite monitoring plans and rewrite everything just because even in the budgets now, you have to make sure you map out a good portion for remote visits just because for oncology, we're seeing that they don't want us to come on site at all.
0: I've noticed that too, but I've also heard from some CRAs and sponsors and sites that they prefer on-site visits. Yeah, they're still saying the Like I like mixing it up and I think a lot of it, it, there's a lot of parallels between this and patient centricity where you give the patient the option. You can come to the site today or you can do a phone visit today, but at some visits you do have to come in the office, but not everyone unless you want to. I think that's going to be like for monitoring as well.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: But mainly for the sponsor to decide. and you're all going to have problem sites and sites that are doing well and sites that are not recruiting at all. So there's no need to go. Um, so there's there's always different scenarios. It's not always the same.
1: Yeah, I agree. Which is where the risk-based monitoring is supposed to come in hand. Yep. But that plan is. I don't feel like everybody really knows what to do with it or how to really execute it in the best. Yeah. Way.
0: I mean, either everyone switched to it and it's just default, or they decided to go 100% SDP. <laughs>
1: I don't know it's it's like still there but not really and now I feel like it's a blurred line because there is this hybrid remote on-site visit thing going on anyways and then it's kind of on a you know an as-needed basis based upon the site and like you said if they have a bunch of deviations or missed visits or whatever so um I don't know. The, ind- the industry is interesting because it's changing as a whole, like you said.
0: Oh, yeah. And even now, decentralized trials, you know, that was the rage three years ago. The rage was virtual trials. Before that, it was risk based monitoring. Yeah. Now, well, it used to be decentralized trials of a few months ago. They're starting to pivot from that too. Yeah. They're realizing it's not that easy to get patients to do any visits.
1: Yeah. And that's, I think, Maybe you tell me if you think I'm wrong, maybe they're starting to have a better appreciation of how challenging it is to get patients because, you know, they're always pushing those numbers. But I think now there's the there's a greater at least a a better appreciation.
0: Yes. Do you do you know, like, you know how sometimes you order something online and it says same day, same day delivery, but it's between like nine to one. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can just go to the store. And I think that's patient. I think that's DCTD because a lot of patients don't want to sit around four hours when they know it's like only five minutes needed. Yeah. You know, to go in the store, maybe you got to drive 20 minutes, but that's still better than four hours of yeah. sitting around waiting for somebody to show up to draw your blood or to check your vitals. Like you can just go to the site and get it over with and go run your errands. Exactly. So a lot of this that, Pharma thinks is better for patients, maybe not so much.
1: It's not. And, you know, the higher up people make these decisions. So they don't think about the patient and everyday execution. They don't have that in mind when they make a lot of the decisions. And they don't consult oftentimes with the people that are actually on the ground working with the patients.
0: Yeah, it's just a disconnect. Yeah. uh, No, I think sites are always going to be in demand. CRAs are always going to be in demand. Well, at least in our lifetimes. Yeah. are always going to be in demand.
1: So yeah. Nobody's yeah. got
0: to worry. I'd rather people worry about they're not going networking enough than worrying about their job being obsolete.
1: Absolutely. And that's that's not something, if you're in the clinical research space, you shouldn't even be talking about an obsolete
0: role. <laughs> just coming off the busiest <laughs> year ever in our industry, about to go into an even busier year Yeah. You're worried about obsolete. The industry is worried about not enough people.
1: Exactly. Everybody's hiring. Um, And Valerie says, how well do you think DCT would work? Also, would it provide more jobs for people?
0: I'm not a fan uh, of the term. I'm a fan of giving patients the option. I'm not a fan of forcing DCT to work because venture capitalists think that it's a buzzword that pharma likes. I mean, if pharma had their way, there would be no sites because they would just do everything direct to patients. Yeah. They
1: but really would.
0: That way, because no, there's no industry more hated than pharma. None. And I think COVID actually probably made that worse. So it should have made it better. <laughs> That's all another podcast. Yeah. I'm actually interviewing Dr. Peter McCullough soon. Uh, oh,
1: that'll be another good one.
0: Yeah, the, the guy. Well, I'm not going to get you canceled right now. Canceled. <laughs> I've said too much.
1: <laughs> that is so funny. Well, um, I don't see any more questions, and we're like an hour and a half, in and I don't want you to, you know, send me a message after this. Like, <laughs> I can't believe you kept me on. That's election
0: visit tomorrow. I got to leave Phoenix and go three hour drive back to and be at the SSV tomorrow at nine, but it's a obesity study. I can't wait to be able to get this one. I might do a video about it tomorrow with Katie.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, sure. I'm sure everybody wants to hear about it. Um, oh, I
0: can't wait. This is oh, really cool. Be really good.
1: Wow. So before you leave for, I know everybody, most people, they should know anyways, who you are, how to reach you and all that good stuff. But let everybody know where they can find you, how they can contact you, if they have any more questions, or if they want to get your help.
0: You can find me as one of Jasmine's connections. <laughs> so go to her profile, find her connection, and you'll find me there. Seriously.
1: <laughs> I know you are, but I'm pretty sure people are like, that's not <laughs> that's not the answer that they wanted to hear. Dan
0: Farrah, anywhere you're watching. Facebook, the worst. Okay, I never on there. Maybe I post there like so maybe everywhere except Facebook.
1: Yeah, um, and but they. You know, her profile,
0: it's good. Go her, it's good there, and then you'll find me from her profile.
1: And the clinical trials guru. If you just Google that, you'll come up everywhere.
0: Yeah, it's um, just getting started. We got a lot of work to do.
1: Yeah, and for those of you who are wanting to learn more about the industry, check out the ultimate guide to clinical research, and then you know you have that long ass clinical research five
0: hour video, which now is done in Spanish. Did you know that?
1: I did not.
0: I hired a guy to dub it in Spanish. Oh, wow! Yeah, so it's in Spanish as well, and I'm working on Hindi next.
1: Wow, that's amazing. I got to
0: check on the Hindi guy's been taking forever. Where are you at, Aditya?
1: (laughs) That's going to be great. So you guys, um, stay on the lookout for that. For those of you who English is not, maybe you speak it, but it's not your your best language, Spanish and Hindi, right?
0: Hindi soon, it's not available yet. Thanks to Aditya, where are you at? (laughs) I got to message him, it's taking too long. (laughs)
1: That's so funny. Well, thank you so much as always. Um, I know we talked about linking up and doing some other special things. So everybody stay on the lookout. We're going to be teaming up. um, Coming at you guys with a lot more content. So thank you so much. Any last words that you want to share with anybody?
0: No, just Jasmine. Thank you. You know, you Brad, um, ECRG, I'm so glad you guys are also creating content because, um, you know, it was getting like a little lonely answering all the questions. So now you're getting like same questions, same your way. So I'm glad because people get different perspectives. Now, this is Jasmine telling you from a CRA perspective. This is Dan from site owner. Basically you see a lot of like the same advice.
1: Yeah. Right? I was just about to say that different people, but we're all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. And some people listen, And some people don't. So
0: keep doing your thing and we'll do a lot lot of collabs, I predict, in 2023, me and you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks again and enjoy the rest of your night.
0: Thank you, Jasmine. You too. And thank you, everybody.
1: All right. Bye.